Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's really fun about that kind of act is it's it like tips over beyond inauthentic into inauthenticity. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah, totally. It's, a, it's just a group of guys that they're like, "You work for us." Silence. <laughs> the, the producers <laughs> give them the songs. They teach them the dance, and then the production, like the production, is so weird. Like there's no art to it at all like it's nope. just the purest commerce it's amazing it's like it's like enjoying like a mcdonald's burger you know what i mean yeah, like yeah totally and hyper engineered for the people who like it it's amazing yeah that's a perfect description and if you haven't had a mcdonald's burger in 20 years you're like oh, i remember why i ate these 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys Are you here at the turn of the century? Ah, good call. It is 1999. We're looking at the best album of 1999. Uh, ben Barton, how are you feeling going into this new century? Oh, I'll tell that with my album selection. I have a little story about that. Okay. Uh, how are you feeling, Jeff? I had the most relaxing day I've had since uh, the year began. Right. I I slept in a little bit. I drank coffee. I ate a donut. <laughs> I mean, I have had a lovely day. Living I, in the lap of luxury. I have worked 14 or 15 hour days, Saturday and Sunday included, for like 22 or 23 days in a row. Oh. And uh, today was the opposite. And I literally feel I, I haven't been this relaxed in a while. Oh, this so is I, a this great is great podcast. This oh, is I'm going to awesome. be. I'm going to be talking all slow and whatever you guys think is cool with me. It's going to be great. I'll tell you what, ben, <laughs> this brings us, we don't uh, really do pre-production meetings here at the 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys podcast. We do that for the people. They can hear the notes. They can hear things being made. That's so um, professional of us. People love so that. professional. They love it. And, <laughs> and thoughts on going to every other week in the 21st century. So we've got, what, another 22, 23 years to go. We've been cranking them out every Wednesday. Uh, do you guys want to change and drop it every other week or, or keep going at this pace? I serve at the pleasure of the podcast president and I would like to fulfill the will of the people. So I'm open. I'm open to suggestion. 
I have so a question. I feel like, Timmy, does, doesn't the strategic planning department, don't we have like a mission statement that they're crafting for us right now and then That's action right. items to go along with that? We should look at... We should replace this podcast scenario with just our strategic planning. We should have... <laughs> like we should do it every other week, but it's just us talking about whether we should do it every other week. And right. That's it. That'll take us through to 2024. Well, that's true. That could be a special episode of, is us talking about when we're going to do it. That would be a pretty exciting the episode. different committees that we would have to form to sure. discuss the oh. different elements. Uh, be like the, the Beatles movie. It'll be like a seven-hour <laughs> oh, totally. podcast yeah, where we yeah. talk about our business. Uh, hey, Tim, where are you tonight, my friend? Oh, um, you noticed um, this is not the basement. Uh, this is the Hampton Inn oh. in Bermuda Run, North Carolina. Bermuda Run, like it's in Run by Bermuda, or it's the name I'm of the town. Sure. You know, I meant to get on Wikipedia and figure out why it's called Bermuda Run because it's, it's also not on the water, right? Not at all. It's it's in Winston uh, Winston Salem. Wow. Um, my daughter, my youngest daughter, has a volleyball tournament. You know, I'm the coach of her team. Big tournament tomorrow. Uh, we're getting focused here in the lime green room 124. Yep. Boy, I love you just told everybody like the town, the the room, the what? hotel. This, this is how you it's get it. It's going to come out in a week. You think that they're going to send the bloodhounds to chase Timmy back have to Asheville not, from there? Have you not seen Play Misty for me? You got to be careful, man. God. All right. Well, in 1999, we are going to uh, get to the music here. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited because we the Grammys are, are kind of on fire. We had Bob Dylan. We had Lauren Hill. Uh, let's see if they can make it three in a row. It's the Grammy winner. Supernatural by Santana. Is that enough? You want to keep going? I'll do a little more. like that's enough plenty gracious plenty so was there any other song from this particular album i mean that was a there was another monster, hit for this record right monster oh yeah there's a bunch i think i really? just uh i've let them fall out the back of my head i don't know good like, call there's a bunch of big big uh guests uh, so, vax uh covid denier eric clapton is on here half of the dave matthews band remember everlast remember those oh guys? yeah sure. Everlast makes an appearance. Uh, Lauren Hill and CeeLo are on a track. Wow. Well, yeah. let me uh, let me ask you, uh, Carlos Santana. I know nothing about his career. Uh, <laughs> is he a good guy? Bad guy? Nice chum? What, what's going on? Nice chum. My favorite Carlos Santana story. A friend of mine went to high school in Marin County, uh -huh. and they they brought Carlos to speak to the whole school about uh, not doing drugs and how bad <laughs> drugs are for you. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Carlos showed up as high as a kite to deliver the speech and just kind of <laughs> coherently mumbled about, you know, like music. And you can see music when you really concentrate. People were like, wow, drugs sound like they might be pretty mind expanding and awesome. They so. really sound pretty cool. Oh, I have a pretty big soft spot for the earlier stuff. Oye Como Vaz, like uh -huh. was one of my absolute all time favorites. And by the way, um, 
for guys our age, a mixtape for a lady, Oye Como Va, really hit the sweet spot. No kidding. <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah. And Samba Pati, you put those two back to back, and you're like, you get the fast and the slow, and you're like, you know, that's just kind of how I do it. I did yeah. not, uh, not know that. All right. Well, my favorite, the, if, if you don't know anything about Santana, which I, I can't imagine anybody but Tim in our listening pool is in that position. But the, <laughs> for me, the place to start is the Woodstock performance of Soul Sacrifice by the original Santana band with a 17 okay. year old Michael Shreve on drums. He just absolutely destroys it. And it's super exciting and great. And, uh, but they fall off a cliff pretty quickly. Um, and there's a lot, there's way more terrible Santana music than there is good Santana music. He's the Burt Reynolds of classic rock. Oh, I would argue. I'll like take a, that. A few really, really high moments. And then just like 27 records that are like stick and stroker ace. And oh my uh, God, we, we've got to have the Burt Reynolds good movie, bad movie uh, punch off at some point. Not yet. Not yet. Um, it won't take long. <laughs> hey, um, I do think so. This is the 1999 podcast. I want the year 2000 podcast to be a reset for our listeners uh, because we haven't had a new person put in a rating in a while, a new person put in a review. We've got 55 ratings. I, I, I think we need some more. In the first, what, 10 hours of a podcast dropping, we have 200 um, regular listeners getting our podcast. Guess what? Year 2000, I'm not going to drop it at 8 a.m. I'm going to drop oh. it at 10 a.m. And those people are going to be like, wait, what? And they'll be like, oh, yeah, this is when we're going to rate the podcast. This is when we're going to give a new review. This is where we're going to one star for Jimmy Charney. Where's my podcast? that guy. <laughs> I do love the Pavlovian approach to. to That's uh, cruel. You're going to punish them. Review acquisition. That is awesome. All right. The year 2000. Oh, gosh. So many news stories. Uh, Clinton. Well, we're in 1999 again, right? Not Sorry. Year 2000. I know. Okay. I'm jumping ahead. Time travel. Uh, 1999. <laughs> it's the Y2K scare. Good wow. times. Clinton goes on trial, uh, but is not convicted after his impeachment in the, in the House. JFK Jr. dies, which takes him out of the running for uh, the who died game, which is back with a vengeance. The people, not a lot of fans of today in tort law. I got to tell you. Yeah, no, for sure. And also, by the way, you should say JFK Jr. Allegedly died. That's true. There's some folks in Dallas waiting right now for him to come back. I, I, I was actually afraid you were about to like reveal him as the mystery guest. I thought this, we were going about to find out your cue. It's himself, you know, like I still don't understand how the, the folks who align themselves with QAnon somehow think a, a Kennedy is going to come back and, and lead them forward. You're not doing sufficient research, my friend. Yeah, no, for sure. It's all very clear if you just, you know, stay up to date on the materials. Connect the dots. Yep. And also, like, if that's the single thing, you're like, everything else is totally legit. <laughs> that was the one that puzzled me. And I'm worried about you. I just got a little hang up with this last step. <laughs> everything else. Sure. Oh, fantastic. Um, in the year 1999, The Sopranos debuts. Oh, yeah. I 
in the first season went with West Wing over Sopranos. Uh, but you two are the real TV aficionados. Sopranos versus The Wire. Which one are you bringing to your desert island? You can't bring both. The Wire. The Wire, easily. That's yeah. an easy one. But I mean, if, it's, if it's Sopranos versus West Wing, I mean, come on. That's, West that's, Wing. Like, Tony would go in there and beat all those people half to death, and I'd be rooting for him. It's awesome. <laughs> you get a Indian lot more. King Cannon is right now rewatching The Sopranos. The Sopranos is great. That's not a diss on The Sopranos, but The yeah. Wire is an unbelievable like, singular achievement. Yep. We are, we are, um, we're watching The Wire right now. And it's spectacular so far. Yeah. It's and it's going to get better. Or yeah, worse. What, what season are you in? Season one. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, dude. Wait till you get to the school season. The school four. Season. season four is like Nobel Prize level television. Just wow. As good as television gets. Okay. So you're both. And then season five is the newspaper season? Yeah. Now? Yeah. <laughs> season five is the, wor- the worst qualitatively against the other ones, but it's the funniest one because yes. uh, Simon was a reporter at the Baltimore Sun. And season five takes place in a newsroom and he basically recreates all the people he didn't like at work and yep. then backs a bus over them <laughs> on national TV. It's really unbelievable. And it's I mean, most- he's like, they did interviews with people who worked with them then and they were like, oh, they were like, well, is it, is it like, oh. is it a, a version of it? They're like, oh, oh no, it's, it's not a version. It's a, it's a reproduction of actual <laughs> meetings that happened with people he didn't like where he oh shows what God. jerks they are. It is, Can you imagine brilliant. how much fun it would be to be able to go backwards in life and create a TV season based around people <laughs> yeah. you hated burying them? I cannot wait for my second uh, podcast. All right. <laughs> oh! Moving right along. Ned Just and Fedge. Yeah. Um, terrible, terrible avalanche in Austria in 1999. Uh, a whole village just gets buried. 31 people die. But over 30 people are rescued from the snow. In fact, one dog uh, rescues 26 people. Just working with search teams, one dog saves the lives of 26 people, which brings us to our new segment. Ben, how is the puppy? Because dogs, <laughs> dogs are incredible. Everyone loves there? dogs. You're the worst, you Tim. That was so uncalled for. It was really mean. We grade on a curve here at the law school. So you can't be like, here's the world's most amazing dog. How's your dog doing? That was a tough get. I'm going to object on Romeo's behalf that you're comparing him to a guy, enough dog that saved 27 other people. <laughs> Romeo's out in the snow in Knoxville, just, just looking for people to save. <laughs> I won't, uh, I won't belabor the Romeo point at all, but I will say that I had a meltdown with Romeo and my <laughs> beloved wife yesterday, and oh, she no. took care of him all day today to give me a break. That's basically where we're at. Now. <laughs> what's, what's going on? You're, you, I, well, I don't want to, uh, I don't want the viewers to think you're not a skilled dog owner. You actually are, of people I know, pretty adept at the dog training. Like Ben's one of those people who, after a year, the dog like needs no leash sits right at his ankles like he's usually that like dog whisperer guy so what is yeah. going on Romeo's well, we've had a, indy and i have had a long-standing discussion about there was nature versus nurture with the two other dogs that we had and it appears it was nature <laughs> <laughs> because this dog this dog is a challenge it's a challenge basically he's a smart dog and that's no good you don't want a uh, smart dog this dog carefully considers whether to obey me uh to the point where he's like i've had five of those treats you know what i mean done 
Yeah. You know, uh, my, my friend Billy, who I think is a listener of the podcast, got a border collie after owning a, a golden retriever. And I was at his house once and uh, he just looked at it. He looked at his dog. He's like, hey. And the dog like went one night and ran and closed his crate with his paw. And he was like, see, if I use that tone, he knows we're going to the vet. The, the dog was so unbelievably smart. He built this like. <laughs> He built this Rube Goldberg machine in his backyard so the dog could get a treat that had like 11 steps. And it took the dog like three hours to master it. So yeah, it was like, it's like living with a graduate student. Oh man. Um, yeah, my dog can jump. That's about it. All right. 1999, Jeff Simon's Napster is created. Um, yeah. And you partook in Napster, I suppose. Yeah, I never loved Napster though because... Um, the files were so sloppy and like, you never knew what you were going to get. Like every once in a while you'd find something like, Oh great. An old record that's out of print. But most of the time, like you download something and just be like all glitchy or horrible sounding like that. The lack, the total lack of quality control and the kind of free for all nature of it kind of turned me off a little bit. So he wasn't a music guy. He was just a computer guy. I don't know. I really don't know much about him, actually. Sean Fanning. Is that his name? I thought it was Sean Parker. Sean Parker. Sean oh, Parker. Who's Fanning? Who's a Fanning? Know. I'm looking up Napster Fanning while Ben talks about Napster. I wasn't oh. a fan. <laughs> That's all. His name what? was Sean Fanning, not Sean Parker. Who's Sean called... Parker? The name Sean Parker is the name that they use in the stupid movie. Right. Thank you very much. Sean Parker is the name of Justin Timberlake's character in the social network, right? That's what it is. That was why I was fooled too. No, Sean Parker is someone. I'm sure there's a Sean Parker. They should rate the podcast at 8 a.m. before the 10 (laughs) a.m. drop. (laughs) That was good. That was was like me. All right. Uh, In 1999, Boris Yeltsin resigns. A young gish Vladimir Putin steps in. Um, ben, how would you rate Vladimir Putin's career as the leader of Russia so far? A plus five stars. He's done a magnificent job. Can't wait for more. Wow. Okay. Jeff? He I'm has, a, he has I'm tapes a, of me. Yeah, I was going to say. I've never been I've never been so overwhelmed by the sight of a shirtless man on a horse in my life. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that's um that's something that we don't do in the United States too much. Well, John well, that, Car- John Kerry was in a uh, a wetsuit. Well, Teddy Roosevelt had I'm sure a couple of like horse early photographs or paintings, right? Oh, and there were some George W pictures on the ranch where he like, that's true. white t-shirt working yeah, it out. Yeah, he looked a yeah, little cut chopping some wood. Yep. No Did you guys um have you read River of Doubt yet? No. The, oh, okay. We'll talk about that later. Then. Um, all right. Let's get to the number one selling album of 1999. Hit it. It's the number one album. Millennium by Backstreet Boys. Yeah. You are. My fire, the one desire, believe when I say I want it that way, but we 
making fun of the song as it began and then dancing as it got into it. I might have enjoyed that song more now than ever before in my entire oh, life. For sure. What's really fun about that kind of act is it's it like tips over beyond inauthentic into inauthenticity. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's a, totally. It's, a, it's just a group of guys that they're like, you work for us, silence. <laughs> the producers <laughs> give them the songs, they teach them the dance. And then the production, like the production is so weird. Like there's no art to it at all like it's nope. just the purest commerce it's amazing it's like it's like enjoying like a mcdonald's burger you know what i mean yeah like it, totally and hyper engineered for the people who like it it's amazing god that's perfect description and if you haven't had a mcdonald's burger in 20 years you're like oh, i remember why i ate these yeah that's what that's what just happened right there <laughs> and i you know, i'll probably have diarrhea in an hour and a half <laughs> did you guys see the brooklyn 99 uh, where Andy Samberg ha- had the uh, had the guys in the lineup, and he had them start singing that. No, but I wish I had. It's that killing. sounds pretty I will, good. I will send it to you, and this time I actually want you to listen and or watch what I send you rather than ignoring it. Oh man, oh, he's salty tonight. Aggressive ben. today. Passive we're not. Aggressive. We're apparently not doing our homework. No, you, for sure. Listen, when you're in a Bermuda run Hampton Inn. I know. I would be salty too, my brother. You're doing you're being very kind under the circumstances. I've got a uh, a little basketball factoid for us that I, I think the three of us basketball fans will enjoy this question. So in 1999, Carl Malone of the Utah Jazz wins his second MVP award. And as I thought about that, I was like, I thought about how much I could not stand Carl Malone as a player. And then I was thinking. Who's the best player that you could not stand or cannot stand in your years of watching the NBA? Well, John Stockton of- was up there as well. The uh, two yeah. of them on the same team was perfect. It depends what ben- you mean by couldn't stand. I, I, I always hated Jordan. I had nothing. I mean, he d- demolished me, broke my heart. Right, yeah, but you, hated you that knew guy. he was great. No, but I mean, so was Carl Malone. Carl Malone was great. Uh, Carl Malone was great. Carl Malone was great. I'm going to say the two players I've disliked the most in the last 15 years are uh, Chris Paul and James Harden. And it's not even close. Oh, I really like Paul. Oh, I, Paul, uh, we can't even go there. We can't even go there. Like, it'll be like a two hour, we'll have a special two hour episode of the sins of Chris Paul. Who is Barkley is wrong. Greatest leader in the NBA, which is what he says every time. Every time they go to to Chris Paul highlights. Chris Paul is the best leader we have in the NBA. Every time. Okay. Drives me crazy. Um, All right. I cannot wait for that podcast. That's going to be. Just go go look up the highlight where he tries to punch Damian Lillard in the kidney on a layup in the playoffs. And he gets his finger caught in the uniform and breaks and dislocates his own pinky and knocks himself out of the playoffs when he's a clipper. That's my favorite quintessential Chris Paul highlight. Wow. Okay. Okay. We're, we're moving on quick. Everyone's a little salty tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm in a great mood, but you, <laughs> you brought up Chris Paul. You know, on the extended version of this podcast, Ben has an unbelievable Carl Malone story, but I'm not sure he's allowed to tell it on the podcast. Oh, we'll put it behind the paywall. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get to people who died. In 1999, Ben, I believe in you. I think you've got something here. As a matter of fact, we will start with basketball. 
Lakers. Stilt. Come on, buddy. George Mikan? <laughs> I'll throw out some wrong names for you. I will Chamberlain. Hey! He's in. He has re-engaged. George Mikan. George Mikan is pretty great. Uh, <laughs> movies. Critic. Ebert. Ro- Roger. Oh, it's Gene Siskel. Comedian. Tired. Blazing Saddles. Madeline Kahn? Yes, Jeff Simons. That's I'm pretty tired. good. Pull. Tired. Tired of playing the that's game. That's a pretty good pull. I can't believe my brain pulled that out. All right, Ben. We'll we'll come you up with something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Actually, Ben, you can take this one. We're 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 leaving the 20th century. Give me your top two musical moments of the entire century. Go. All right. So first I'll note that India Kincannon objected to this question. I know. She thought this was off brand and we should start in 1969. Second, it is a little bit of a weird question. And I thought hard about it. First, 1901, the gramophone company first records and presses commercially available records on wax the recording of sound. And it, I mean, it's a hilarious story too. The dude who ran, the German guy who ran the company toured the world recording opera and pe- weird performances in India and then uh-huh. released them all. Huh. Um, and then there's a less clear version of this, but basically it's in the late 20s, early 30s that you first have amplification systems that can travel. Yep. So there've been amplification systems in movie houses since the 1890s, 1900s. But to have it, you can actually carry it with you, which means basically you can have a band that's amplified and starts amp. in the in the thirties. Yeah, totally. Huh. And so that makes every, every you know, and then then you're off to the races. I could have chosen the electric guitar, but the amplification is actually the big thing. I like the Deutsch gramophone. Yeah, choice. no, for sure. That's good. I'll do. Um, I have two. One is uh, Igor Stravinsky conducts the Rites of Spring in Paris in 1913. And it causes a riot because it's such a reinterpretation of what ballet and classical music, People the audience freak that, out. The, yeah. the, the uh, audience freaks out. I think it introduces the 20th century as a, a moment when avant-garde art can go popular um, and go from the underground to the above ground. And I think that leads to pop art and pop culture. And the second one is the Beatles perform on Ed Sullivan on February 9th, 1964. I think that changes the second half of the 20th century Talk about a riot. Utterly. Yeah. Those are my two. Uh, uh, but yeah, they're both pre-1969, so I'm not loving my choices a ton. Probably Woodstock, right? I mean, it invents the modern rock concert. It invents, it, it creates the modern rock festival. It turns rock and roll from uh, a kind of a, a, a micro youth culture into something that every kid in the world wants a part of. I mean, mm. I, well, I'm going to go with... Um... 1983 when level 42 releases something about you that was hard to cut off the list i agree with you let's go our three albums our three albums ben let's get you so um in 1999 India Kincannon graduated 
from Princeton with a master's degree, and then we moved to Arizona. This entire stretch of our lives, like basically from 97 to when Dolly is born in 2001 is all one chunk of our lives. And I experienced this as a really, really, really busy stretch. When India was at grad school at Princeton, obviously she was super busy. Um, I worked at a, the, a Princeton office of a pretty big law firm. And the last calendar year, basically up until we left in May, 1999, when she graduated, I billed, not worked, billed 2,400 hours, which means that I was just at work every day, all day, including the weekends. There's a particular story that I remember from this. May 17th, 1998, my dad calls me and he's like, hey, uh, my best friend David Gillis and I are going to go to the Yankee game today, Sunday afternoon. You want to come? And I'm like, nah, nah I got to work. I'm just going to go to work. I'll listen to it on the radio. And my dad's friend, David Gillis, is the best. And I've gone to a bunch of Yankee games with them. And we should note, I'm a much bigger baseball fan than either of these dudes. Can either one of you guess what happened May 17th, 1998 at Yankee Stadium? Perfect game. David Wells pitched a perfect game. Wasn't he hungover? Yes. My dad has seen a perfect game. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's like unbelievable. 26 total in all of baseball history. <laughs> and I could have been there. Oh. I could have been there. And I mean, it was hilarious because I was actually physically at work. And, and that, that year, this, the, the Yankees were so unbelievably good. And, they, and baseball's the best radio game. So I would just listen to every game on the radio. So I'm sitting there at work. And I'm like, you know, typing things and writing a brief and doing some research. And it's the fifth inning. And I'm like, hey, I, I don't think there's been a hit. And then I'm like, <laughs> hey, they, they get to the seventh inning and they're not saying anything. You know, they don't, they don't spoil it. Anyhow, I remember this vividly Ugh. because on the one hand, you know, when you're in your 20s, I didn't have kids. It's like, you know, what are you going to spend your time doing besides right. working? You know what I mean? It's not a bad time to spend all your time working. Um, that being said, if you keep that, that is the most time out. That's the most Gen X answer we've ever had in a show with a lot of Gen X content. What's better to do in your twenties than just work all the time? Work. I can't even. Work. I mean, you just yeah. summed up our whole generation in four seconds. Because you know what? Other generations have have uh, rebuttals to that yeah. idea. That involves Boy, peace, relaxation. <laughs> I don't know. I enjoyed working. It was fine. It was work. Anyhow. This is all a long way of saying that this stretch choosing music has been a little bit hard. This year in particular was very hard for me. I went back and forth and forth and back, and I finally settled on the record I listened to most in 1999, which is unquestionably not the best album. No one will <laughs> find this on a best of thing. It's a super squirrely selection. Okay. It is Looper's Up a Tree. What, what? Okay. Looper <laughs> is a splinter act from Bell and Sebastian. <gasps> Let's go. The bassist in Bell and Sebastian and his weird art school wife got together and created a separate sampling band called Looper. Okay. And they put out a record called Up a Tree. The first track is called The Tree House, and it's a minute and 27 second looping piano bit with his daughter mumbling about how awesome their treehouse is with a thick Scottish accent. She's like, <laughs> we go up the ladder. We go up the ladder. It's amazing. 
anyhow that's what the entire record sounds like <laughs> jeff's holding his hands his head in his hands which is fine i am a huge fan of scottish mumbling i'm a huge <laughs> fan of looping i love this record um i recognize it as a weird selection jeff colombo's car by looper i want you to start at the three minute mark up a tree by looper so he said, I'll let you get back to your game. You know, this really is a lovely area. And as he walked off down the steps, I watched until he opened the door of his car and I went to start up another game. But then he stopped. Oh, I'm sorry, he said, holding one hand up in the air, a cigar between his fingers and looking down at the ground. Just a little thing, he said. And he scratched the back of his head with a hand that had been up in the air. Something like that, sir. That little machine you have there. Would someone be able to make samples with that? From records and stuff. I laughed and shook my head. That's fine, sir, he said. I was just curious. Then he got in the car and drove away. Wow. Yes, so this is great music to work to. I weirdly loved this record. I, I don't even know how I found it. I guess because I like Bella Sebastian. It was number 79 on the Scottish albums chart. That's the Wikipedia information <laughs> about this record. I, it was a sub-pop release in the U.S. Um, and I just wore it out. And if you hated that, wow. no worries at all. You're not alone. Many people hate Scottish mumbling over Lupin. Does, what does India think of this album? She liked it. Did she actually really? convinced me. I almost went with old 97's fight songs. And she was like, why would you choose that? You listen to that stupid Looper record. And I was like, oh yeah. So that, I, 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 I rechanged my mind to this. I love that, that that stupid Looper record is a thumbs up review from India. Do you realize like how low your bar is for a compliment? <laughs> I, I feel India just kind of cuts to the chase. Yes. She oh, that's my always here, She would be like, that's just the way Ben presents it. Oh, okay. That yeah. makes sense. I've never heard that band. Never heard that album. I thought it was pretty cool. Jeff Simons. <laughs> well, Could never. you listen to that while you I were working? I pressed this on Jeff for sure. I definitely made you listen to this in 1999. You definitely did. You definitely did. I, whatever. I mean, it sounds like, here's what it is. It's like, first of all, I'm not going to take any whatevers from you. You chose a freaking box set of nuggets crap that came out before the time period we did not give you sufficient shit for last oh, week last week was so i love it i mean so in 1999 oh you know we you came out in 1999 chance last week oh you know you know what the best album in 1999 was it's the mahalia jackson box set yeah which that was I bought in 1999 you know i listened to all three of those discs that's what i should choose <laughs> you know i would have given you less shit here's the thing this is what if there was a Scottish Lou Reed who wishes he was in soul coughing, only not any of those things. That's basically what the Looper record is. Like, you say that be, like that's bad. I know. Yeah, like I know right? If I say that out loud and you're like, ooh, you should listen yeah. to Looper. And if you listen to that, you're like, oh, for God's sake, then you shouldn't. Okay. I mean, that really comes down to that. Like, I would prefer to just watch the scene in Snatch where they have to buy the caravan from Brad Pitt. I love that And scene. he's doing that same, like, yeah, I want a caravan to be mad. Like, I would just, <laughs> if they could put that under, <laughs> under a tricky beat, I would listen to that. For Someone has minutes. done that. We've missed out on that if, if they haven't. Yeah, okay. yeah I'm, I'm, I like Soul Coughing. I thought this was cool. I got there's new. Clip, there's, 
there's an old Velvet Underground song called The Gift, which has this like pretty shitty background track where Lou Reed reads a short story about mailing himself to his girlfriend. And the Looper record is pretty much a, a techno update of that song for 40 minutes. But it so, sounds yeah. like I could grade papers to that. Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. Oh, yeah. Music, like, music to be music yeah. to be instantly forgettable. Ben's pick. No, that's, no, that's not what so we're saying. For. Oh so God. uncalled for. I can't wait right. to hear your selection. It's Jeff, awesome. Jeff Simons. That's a perfect segue. It's a perfect segue because I, I am, uh, I want to talk about cult records and cult artists this week right so there's music that's popular and music that's popular it was designed to be consumed immediately and discarded like like a mcdonald's hamburger and that's been with us forever and sometimes those songs are just the greatest and they make us all so happy and sometimes they really shitty and they make us all very sad and then you've got like bands that are both good and really popular right just big monolithic we all agree. This is really great. We're all going to listen to it together. Then once you get off the, the one hit wonder pop music single track and the big, big giant bands, then everybody's kind of trying to pick their own aesthetic, right? And some people don't care that much about music. And so the bands they pick up on the backside of that are accidental, right? Like I heard this once and I liked it and I bought it. And then there are nerds like me and Ben who are like, well, I, must, I should probably listen to everything ever recorded and have an opinion about all those things and then carefully pick and select. That's where you get cult artists, right? That's and I'm awesome. super, I am super guilty of bringing some big cult artists to the table in this podcast. Um, and I will admit at the same time that a lot of cult artists are overrated and the fanatical fans of cult artists tend to micro pick at their careers. And there's a moment you're supposed to like, and a moment you're not supposed to like, and, and everyone it was so I think maybe one of the all-time top five cult artists is my choice for 1999 and I'm committing heresy within the cult by picking this record this is not the record you're supposed to pick this guy has three distinct career moments the 1970s he's one kind of artist through the whole 1980s and early 1990s he's a second and this record is kind of the introduction of part three of his career that continues to this day. Tom Waits is born in San Diego, California. He drops out of high school, moves up to Silver Lake, and starts playing open mic nights at the Troubadour on piano. Like everyone who went to the Troubadour in 1971, he gets a record deal from Asylum Records. <laughs> Uh, he makes his first record closing time in 1973. It doesn't sell at all, but the Eagles on the same label cover one of his songs on their second record. And that the, the royalties from that money uh, keep Which him song? going. Which song? Uh, old 55. Not a oh, hit, sure. not a big one. But yeah. that's enough for him to just keep making records through the 70s. And he's kind of a cult act in the 70s. He's, you know, it's this kind of broken down lounge singer like is he a singer songwriter is he an old jazz cat um he and he's he's weird right he has a kind of a gravelly delivery uh he's behind the beat um and he's a classic scenester right um thank you wikipedia for telling me uh a list of tom waits's three girlfriends in a row and they are awesome they are elaine boozler the comedian in the 1970s of course and it, an intermittent on-off passionate romance with Bette Midler, and then Ricky Lee Jones, 
So that's a pretty, pretty awesome wow. trio, trio of women. Um, anyway, in the early 80s, uh, Tom Waits meets the love of his life, a woman named Kathleen Brennan, who becomes his collaborator and his manager and is basically helps him clean up, helps him like get out. He's living in squalor with his friend, Chucky Weiss on purpose to kind of like, it's like an, uh, an experiment in impoverished living. And Kathleen is like, you know, what's also nice is a shower and a breath mint. And they, <laughs> he completely changes his sound. He starts using found instruments and he gets these, he gets a new producer and he makes a series of wonderfully weird, bizarre records, starting with swordfish trombones. The most famous of which is probably rain dogs. But that includes Frank's Wild Years and Big Time. All through the 80s, Tom Waits is making this very weird music. It's got like eerie theremin sounds and like treated percussion. He's got this bizarre, wonderful guitar player named Mark Rebo. Those records are everyone's critical darling. Songs like Singapore and uh, um, I mean, there's a million of them that people hang, hang down your head, Jockey Full of Bourbon. And then he kind of disappears for a little bit. In the middle, mid-90s, uh, he lets the record contract expire. He and Kathleen start having kids. Um, they decide they want to completely have a reclusive life. They move uh, up to Sonoma County, about 30 miles from where I live. They buy a ranch. They build a recording studio. Oh. And it's quiet for a long time. And in 1999, he puts this record out. It's called Mule Variations. It is Tom Waits's best record. I don't want to hear it from anybody else. It is... Wow. It's the sweet spot between the kind of smoky jazz singer songwriter thing in the 70 and the interesting sonic experimentation of the 80s. I think he gets everything that's good about the first section and like jettisons some stuff that I think is kind of cheesy. He takes the wonderful weirdness of the 80s without the deliberate strangeness and he smashes them all together on a record that's got totally weird hilariously bizarre moments like what's he building in there but it's also just got fantastic songs uh picture in a frame and big in japan and the one i'm going to play which is my all-time favorite tom waits song it's the third track's called hold on um i have two tom waits stories uh, i recorded an album uh up there for a friend in tom waits's studio cool. and there's there's two rooms there's the room you can rent and then there's tom's room Okay. And, and when you go, you get like, you, you're not allowed to like get the directions until like the morning you go up there. So, cause he really doesn't like visitors. So I wind up and wind up and like the last two roads don't have signs. It's like, take a left at the tree and then like follow the, but I go into the wrong room and I open the door and I'm like, Hey, now these guys are like, Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, put my base down. And, uh, I'm, I've walked into a Tom Waits session by accident. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm not oh, supposed no. to be in that room. My friends at the little stair. But everyone's totally cool to me. And they're like, oh, who called you? Like, oh, I was supposed to show up at nine. And uh, I'm like, so where's Matt? And they're like, oh, yeah. So that's the one. But um, I was in there for like 15 minutes. And they got this big, beautiful console. I'm like, wow, beautiful Neve board. And they're like, yeah, do you know where we got this? It's P the Pete Townsend console that he recorded and mixed Quadrophenia on. Wow. Waits, Waits, Waits bought at auction and had delivered to his ranch. So I got to hang out there accidentally. Did for a you couple freak minutes. out when you heard that? I was, I, I was trying so hard to be cool, but yeah, I think I slobbered a tiny bit. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> totally not the coolest thing ever. <laughs> My second Tom Waits story is I fly down to Los Angeles for a gig. And it's one of those, like, you fly down Thursday afternoon, you play Thursday night, you fly back early Friday morning. I'm, like, on the 7 a.m. Southwest plane back to South San Francisco, and I'm kind of bleary-eyed at the gate. 
So I go over to Hudson News to get like coffee and maybe buy a magazine. And, you know, it's L.A., like everyone's dolled up. Seven o'clock in the morning, everybody's like, I'm ready for my close up, Mr. DeMille. And this this dude stands next to me and he's got like Bermuda shorts on and a Hawaiian shirt. He's wearing an old like 40s hat and he's like all scruffed up and he's carrying a copy of Freakonomics. And I'm like, he's in the corner of my eye and I kind of give the peripheral. I'm like, who does this hipster dipshit who thinks Tom Waits <laughs> think he is? And I take another good look. I'm like, oh, it's Tom this Waits. is Tom Waits. That's the, the <laughs> and I got, I got to know, right? So I point at Freakonomics. I'm like, hey, what do you think? He's like, I like it. I'm like, yep, that's Tom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, Tom Waits, here's Hold On from uh, just slightly uh, better record from 1999 than the Looper record. Mule Variations by Tom Waits. They hung a sign up in our town. If you live it up, you won't live it down. So she left Monte Rio's son. Just like a bullet leaves a gun. With a charcoal eyes and Monroe hips She wouldn't took that California trip Well the moon was gold and her hair like wind Said don't look back just come on Jim Oh you got to hold on Hold on You got to hold on you're in my you're in my blood and you're in my veins and you wear my uh what is it you wear my ring and you bear my name that record that song's got some great lyrics in it man ben barton are you a tom waits fan i am a tom waits fan i think i mean i guess like uh i guess rain dogs probably that would be my choice but this is a good one I mean, I'm not a Tom Waits fan, um, and and I and, fans and, a little strong. I mean, like 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 people who really like Tom Waits would be like, there are no Tom Waits fans. So if you say like, if you're like, yeah, I kind of like Rain Dogs, they're like, well, then you're you're that's right. You're yeah, you're in, you're sure. in or you're out for sure. That's a perfect description. Now, I thought that was a. I mean, I know that as a Tom Waits song, I thought it was a 1970s closing the jazz joint. Yeah, no, the, the jazz stuff is doesn't have that same gravel voice. Like that's an 80s moment. And and the 70s stuff has very traditional instrumentation. Like it's like piano trio, maybe a little acoustic guitar. It doesn't get weird until the 80s, but um I mean it's beautiful. It's good stuff. I mean, have you ever seen him, Ben? You ever seen Tom Waits? No. I saw him in 99 when he came back. He hadn't played a gig in like five years and because he's locally he, he played the paramount in oakland and then he played the bridge benefit and i saw him twice that year and he did a bunch of these songs and all the 80s stuff and i mean it's amazing like it's all decorated like a circus and he comes out in an old suit with a satchel like um handcuffed to his wrist and he's throwing glitter into the air i mean it what? was like it was awesome it was like a whole crazy 
vaudeville sideshow freak show vibe and he played for almost three hours it was such wow, a really crazy generous show yeah it was great so i've always pictured him as having the uh the energy or the stamina of like shane mcgowan at the end of the night like, <laughs> i know I mean, yeah is right it, but... is it all an act with tom waits i mean i don't know like he just paced himself incredibly well and he's got like he's got the best players he wants like his band is just jaw dropping and and like both technically spectacular and also super unique like everybody plays the instrument a little sideways and differently but just so expertly so if you're a music nerd tom waits's band is just awesome something to see yeah all right well good good stuff let's uh let's move on to the, the actual best album of 1999 my pick uh, it comes to me through our studies, Jeff Simons in Vermont at Middlebury College. All right. Summer. Uh, ben Barton, I don't know if I ever told you the story of my wooing of Helen Plain. Oh, come on. Let's hear it. Uh, I, I can't do the whole thing, but Ben, nine bad impressions in a row. Nine bad impressions. It's it's not untrue. The boy got off to a rough start. It's the greatest comeback in romance history. (laughs) The the sixth, I'll give you the sixth, Ben. You know, we we had a square dance at our graduate school. And you you got two ways to play it. You can either be, I'm too too cool to square dance. Or you can be like super energetically, ironically into the square dance. I went with the latter. And when you do the skipping thing. First of all, that was not ironic. Tim, you actually like square dancing. Just admit it to yourself and the podcast people. You're pretending you did it because you were cool, but the actual fact is you're like, hey, that Josie Doe's all right. <laughs> I when like you, When you're hopping around going back to back, that's okay. In fact, I was skipping around the circle so vigorously that as I passed my partner, Helen, I need her in the thigh and she went down in a heap. So I, I actually took her out at a square dance. Um, and what were we listening to? Wilco's Summer Teeth, Jeff Simons, I'm Always in Love. Go. Summer Teeth by Wilco. And I should give due credit, Jeff Simons. You were the one playing this. This was the soundtrack of my summer. Summer Teeth by Wilco. It was great. We saw Wilco that summer at we the did. Higher Ground in Burlington, Vermont, at the height of that Summer Teeth tour when that band was just so shit hot every night. That's one of still one of the best shows I've ever seen. And they can play. I mean, they oh, can man. just play. They were they were just great. And you've got remember we we ran into all of them uh, walking down the street coming out of the record store. That was fun. You've got uh, a shot in the arm. Nothing's ever going to stand in my way again. 
how to fight loneliness i can't I remember ben were you irritated by this record when it came out i can't no, i like this record yeah okay I thought this record was a big leap forward me too um, i wasn't crazy about the um mermaid avenue like that kind of irked me yeah um but yeah no i thought this was was great i mean i, I like I, I, jimmy th this is a better record than either one me and jeff chose it's not yep. my favorite wilco record so i can't I, I just didn't feel comfortable choosing it's not even it's not even my second favorite wilco record uh, but it is it's ter terrific for sure but isn't this the record where they realized they were never going to um you know reach the place perhaps that that the record company wanted them to read like they produced really good songs and it still didn't connect with a, a wider audience in 1999. Like these are good rock songs. And they, they, I think that they were expected to make a leap and this album didn't achieve that the way the record companies wanted it. Yeah, it's funny. But this is, I would blame Wilco's Starcross industry thing that course famously culminates with them passing on Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Right. But it's the fault of the record that we started with. Like Santana's Supernatural is the, like, the fourth super record in a row of the 90s where you like, you can like 17 million copies sold is success and everything else is a disappointment, right? Yeah. Like right, right. in 1999, Wilco is touring the United States. They can sell out a, a 1000 to 2000 seat place in every major market in the country. And everybody who loves rock and roll has bought a copy of this record. It sells almost a million copies with absolutely no uh, radio help. Uh, HBO re records an hour long show at uh, Irving Plaza and puts oh, it on their new reverb show. They? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, they're just by any metric, this is a band in tremendous ascendance. The bigger than the last one, bigger than the last one, just ravenously positive, critical reviews. And everybody who's a lifelong record buyer is talking about this band. Um, and if, and if the measure, had been what success looked like even 10 years ago. The whole record company went, this is fabulous. Give them another five records. It's just because we're in this moment of like feast or famine, right? You're either, you're either Titanic or you suck. And that- You're Hootie and the Blowfish. Or, or you're not. Come up short. Yeah. And that's too bad. I mean, and, and to this band's incredible credit, they figured out a way to wait that moment out, build their own career around their own fan base, and they will make music as long as they want to, and they will play live as long as they want to, and they're, they totally deserve it. I'm, I, I'm so they, happy for these guys that they've been able to, to have this band in this incantation for 18 years now, making records and getting along and surviving the industry. It's just great. Great for them, great for us. What do you take of the uh, the Jay Bennett stuff and and him leaving and and his like this is a, a Bennett record yeah yeah so much way. so right you know I I do think Jay Bennett was a genius you know I think Jay Bennett was was and he was a genius at being somebody else's right hand I don't know if you've listened to Titanic Love Affair which was the band he was in before he joined no. Wilco it sounds great and there's no melodies and the songs are instantly forgettable like he's a classic right like mike campbell to tom petty kind of figure right like he can hear jeff's little 
like scratchy song and an acoustic guitar and just see the whole thing. Like I see the bridge and the verse and we're going to add this Mellotron. Um, and then, but I think also like you've just got, you've got two guys who are pretty tortured, who are susceptible to the darker sides of a rock and roll lifestyle, who are both suffering from both mental illness and also just upbringings where they didn't learn how to talk about things. And the lifestyle claims one of them and not the other. Uh, you know, I mean, I just think it's, you, there's that moment in the movie about the making of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot where they can't, they're talking across one another. Yeah. And Bennett's so lost in the so mix of heavy metal drummer and so Tweety just leaves and goes and vomits like and has a panic attack in the bathroom, comes back, puts his hand on his friend's shoulder, like, let's start over. And Jay's just oblivious. He's just oblivious to anything other than the mix. He's like, where'd you been? I fixed it. And uh, that moment, that 10, that 10 minutes is like so heartbreaking because I think Jay had to leave the band for Jeff Tweedy to live. And, uh, and it's just a damn shame. That's my take on it. What about you? It was either 99 or 98. I saw just the two of them at an unannounced show at a, a fancy bar in Soho um, that uh, India's friends, Judy's boyfriend knew about. And so it was <laughs> like me and 250 other people saw those wow. two guys play. Wow. It opened with gun. Yeah. And, oh man. Was it fantastic? I mean, just off the hook. Great. Um, yeah. I actually, I mean, a ghost is born. It's my favorite. And then especially that, that, that iteration of the band, I like so much better than this iteration of the band. Um, but I know that's, that's mean. <laughs> I do. I mean, these songs are great. What can you say about these songs? They're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I, there's a moment when I got worried. There's a moment when I got worried. There's been a couple of moments where I'm like, ooh, this might be where I get off the Wilco train. And by getting off the train, I mean, go from being a slobbering super fan <laughs> to just a fan. But like when Jay leaves and it's, it's Leroy on keys and uh, they've just gotten Glenn on drums, like when they're just a quartet in like 2002, 2003, uh, touring uh, Foxtrot and Ghost and they don't have the extra musicians yet. Like I saw a couple of really ragged Wilco shows where they could not figure out how to translate the material. They, they yeah, just didn't right. have the horsepower on stage. That was one moment. And then I didn't love, I did not love Schmilko. I, 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 that's not a record where I'm like, Ooh, I want to put that on again. And, uh, and I feel like they're getting back, they're getting closer back. They're getting, they're starting to speak to me a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I just think of it as a different era. Like I loved that Bennett lineup so much. And then when I saw the new lineup, I was like, I love this lineup just Great. as much. And now I love it more. Like, I agree with you, Ben. Like it's one of the best, Rockcom. It's one of the best collection of rock musicians on stage of all time. They're well, just fantastic. They're awesome. Um, and, and I tell you, if you if you have young kids, there's a song on this album that is just a, a killer little lullaby called "My Darling," written by Jay Bennett. And I think here at the Hampton Inn in Bermuda Run, North Carolina. I shall play it for little Flannery before her volleyball tournament so she can sleep tonight. You know, it's been great. B's been playing flag football on Sunday mornings. Uh-huh. And I'm playing the psych up music on the way to practice that I played before lacrosse games <laughs> when I was in middle school. Right. You wanna get you wanna guess what the what the go-to music is to get her pumped up for football? 
I, I don't know. What is it? No, no. First of all, I'm brokenhearted because I know it's not going to be Eye of the Tiger. I wish it was <laughs> Eye of the Tiger. Play I tomorrow. You have another opportunity to play Eye of the Tiger. Maybe it will. It's side two of Diver Down. It's dancing in the streets and little guitars and the full bug. Back to back to back. And when I played it last week, she was just real quiet for a while. And then she just turned slowly and was like, this is good. Yeah. Let's, let's, go. Yeah, let's go. She's got yeah, the new pants on. Yeah, yeah, let's go. So we'll see how tomorrow goes. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Another, another triumph, Timmy. Well another done. Another podcast in the books. Goodbye, 20th century. Good luck tomorrow, Flan. Give him hell. Same to me. We'll see y'all later. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.